0: Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan Practice of Godly Conference, or Spiritual Conversations Among Believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who calls you as faithful. He will surely do it. Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me, as always, is Matthew McLaughlin. Hey, Jeremy. Hello. Um, unfortunately, again, our friend Tim Scott's not able to join us uh, because of important pastoral duties. Uh, me and Matthew, we have no duties, so we're always here. <laughs> That's true. It's actually not, but, you know. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> But here we are, another Monday, uh, ready to talk about spiritual things. And especially today, we're going to continue talking about the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is another transition point in this series that we're doing. Uh, we've been talking about how the Spirit makes us Christians when we're talking about adoption and conversion and regeneration and all those things uh today we're going to be talking about the spirits begin to talk about anyway the spirits role in our christian life does that sound exciting to you matthew it does you don't look excited but i am <laughs> <laughs> i i always get that so um anyway so uh we're going to talk first today about sanctification so this is this is broadly speaking, and then we'll narrow in in the coming couple weeks and talk about specific issues related to sanctification. Any thoughts before
1: we begin, Matthew? No, I think just getting into it would be best for us to do today.
0: All right, so let's again start with the definition. I actually have two definitions today, and I think they're both very helpful for different reasons. Uh, The first one, of course, is from the Baptist Catechism. Um, It says, what is sanctification? And the answer is, sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. And then the next one is um, actually the... Two Rivers Community Churches, our church, uh, Confession of Faith, which is uh, a revised version of the Abstractive Principles, the first Southern Baptist Confession of Faith. So um, what it says about sanctification is uh, that sanctification is the process by which those who have been regenerated are made more holy by God's word and spirit dwelling in them. This sanctification is progressive through the supply of divine strength by which all saints are enabled more and more to die to sin and live under righteousness. So you can see some similarities, but there's the reason I give two is because there's some key things in the abstractive principles uh, that um, that we need to understand as well. So I thought both of them were helpful in understanding what sanctification is about. So, I give those definitions, and now I want to just hit the highlights or the key points from those definitions to make sure that we understand. Because, you know, just reading quickly through a definition um, may, give, may give you a summary, but we need to delve deeper. Deeper? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> My tongue's tied again this morning. How about deeper? All right, so key points. Um, Number one, in both of these, it's clear that sanctification is a work of God. The text I read at the very beginning talks about the God of peace sanctifying you completely. Sanctification is a work of God, um, as the rest of salvation is. It's God's work in us. Um, The second key point is related to that. Um, sanctification is a result of God's free grace. In other words, God chose to make us holy. That's what Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4 tell us, is that God chose us before time to make us holy. So God's choice in election, the the goal uh, for those individuals he chose is to make them holy, to sanctify them. And I, I think this is a good point to say, you don't have to really think too hard to figure out how the Holy Spirit is involved in sanctification, okay? Um, the word sanctification is is the Latin, it comes from Latin, and it means holy. So, you could even call the Holy Spirit the sanctifying spirit. Um, so, it's easy to see how the <laughs> Spirit is related to sanctification. I may not be... I may not have mentioned the spirit to this point. Uh, The very fact that it's called sanctification tells you uh, the the primary person of the Trinity who's involved in it. Um, So, you know, God, the father chooses us. Christ paid the price to make us holy. And it's the spirit who's just like he did in creation, hovering over things, um, forming and filling Uh, That's what he does in us. He's hovering, as it were, over us, forming and filling us and making us more holy. So again, you can see how the Spirit works in creation and providence, and he works in the same way when it comes to our redemption. Um, So sanctification is a work of God, and it's a work of God's free grace. Thirdly, it's a renewal of the entire man. Body, soul, mind, affection, and will. We, that comes from the passage I read at the beginning. Sin infected and affected n- not just all every single human being, but it infected every person and every part of them so that there's no part of our human nature that is not touched by sin. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit and sanctification to begin to reverse that uh, effect of sin in our body, soul, mind, affections, and will. Um, Then fourthly, and this is one of the things that I think the um, abstract principle said that the confession didn't. It's a process wherein one becomes increasingly holy. Regeneration happens in a moment just you're either justified or you're not justified there are no degrees of justification you're not kind of justified or sort of justified or anything of that sort but that's not true of sanctification growing in holiness is a process it's a lifelong process different believers are going to be at different places in their christian life and you, you will be at different places in your life depending on your growth and holiness. So um, it's a process and it's, it's a lifelong one and it's a struggle
1: too. Do you have something to add Matthew? I was going to say one of the things for us to remember is that in this process, it's not, it's not a linear line. So people think that this process is just this, solid upward trajectory and in reality it's more jagged and one step forward two steps back but the reality is the challenge rather to say it is that I always should be seeking to make progress that progress does can be increasingly and incredibly rather slow but it's (laughs) just forward momentum it's that, that I don't regress but I'm always moving forward I'm always allowing the spirit to do his work to make me holy right it's it's more it's more like if you look
0: at the stock market and right. the ups and downs it's not a solid line where you're saved and sanctified in a matter of five years um, it's it's a lifelong process there's a lot of ups and downs and if you look at it on a daily basis, you may start, you might start panicking. I mean, it's the same with the stock market. If you, if you sold your stocks every time it looked bad, you'd never, you'd really not do well because um, investing in stocks is long-term, not short-term. So you have to look at the long-term. And as long as the stocks are moving and then the trend is upward Uh, Then then you're okay, and you don't have to worry about a few days where it's going down. And it's the same for a Christian life. Um, As long as the trend is going upward, we we know that God's grace is working and and making us more holy, even if we've had a bad day or a bad week. (laughs) Um, So it's it's a process and it's very important to know that and understand uh, that it's not going to happen instantly, um, and then, fifthly, it involves two instruments: the word and the spirit. And we've talked before in this series about how the spirit and the word always go together. You, they, they are inseparable. The word and spirit. I'll just go ahead and talk about it now. I won't wait till later so I forget, but. <laughs> The way this works is the, the, when the law is preached, in other words, the commands and condemnations from, from God's word, when when those things are preached, God's people respond to those by repenting. Uh, we, we see our sins. We see how far we are from Christ. And God's spirit uses those things to bring us to repentance. So his word works in that way to, to bring us to repentance and renewal. It, but the gospel, which is God's promises to do good to us, God's blessings, these give us comfort and assurance and encourage our love for Christ so that we'll continue to, continue to strive to live for him. So all of God's word is necessary in our lives, both the law and the gospel, to to make us holy. And that that's what the word is for. Both, And we need to look for law and gospel. And maybe that's something we need to talk about on a deeper level on some other episodes. Um, but when we're reading the Bible, when we see the law that ought to lead us to repentance, when we see the gospel, it ought to... Encourage us to trust in Christ and love Him more, and and the same with the preaching of God's Word. Uh, the law and gospel work together to uh, encourage holiness in our lives and sanctify us. And of course, the the law and gospel, the Word itself, will be a dead letter if the Spirit isn't uh, joined with it and and bringing it into our hearts granting repentance and giving faith and turning us again to Christ. So the word and spirit work together in that way to sanctify us. These are the, the instruments. We'll talk about more of those later on, but those are the primary things we think of. And then six, and remember, we're highlighting the definitions so we understand what sanctification is. It in, believers are enabled to die to sin and live to righteousness. Both the Catechism and the of Principles um, said that in the statement, and we'll talk more about, we'll definitely talk more about that later. So, and then finally, sanctification is not perfect in this life. That's why we were, we're talking about it being a lifelong process, and it's a process where we're moving upward, growing in Christian maturity, growing in holiness, becoming more spiritual. This is a lifelong process, and it will never be complete in this life. So you'll battle sin from the moment you were born again to the moment you see G- Jesus face to face. Then the battle will be over. The process will be complete. You will be perfected, and, um, and you will no longer have that battle with sin. You'll be truly sanctified at that point. So it's it's not perfect in this life which goes back to what Matthew and I were talking about a little bit ago. And uh, so I think knowing that probably helps us to have a a better perspective of what our goal is. We should agree with that. Yeah. Cause we should aim for perfection by the grace of God, knowing that we're not going to make it right. Cause if we think we're going to be perfect and we fail to be perfect, then that's going to crush us spiritually. Right. So it I think that's I think that's helpful. So any any thoughts Matthew on the definition and the key points from those before we talk about our, our friend Walter Marshall. My friend, I don't know if you know him.
1: <laughs> no, I think that's a good overview of what sanctification is.
0: Walter Marshall uh in his book Gospel mystery of sanctification, and by the way, I call all my books my friends. Uh, so, Walter Marshall's been dead for a long time. He's he's either a Puritan or lived closely after the Puritans lived. His book is wonderful uh, about sanctification. Uh, you see, because there's two problems with sanctification. Number one is antinomianism, where you reject the law and you think you, because of grace you don't. You live above the law and aren't required to live in accordance to it anymore. That's one problem. And then on the other side is legalism, where you try to earn God's favor by keeping the law. Both of those things are errors that we want to avoid. And Walter Marshall does an excellent job of avoiding both of those pitfalls. And the way he does it is he focuses everything on Christ. So I, I commend Walter Marshall to you. It's it's not an easy book, but it's, it's very profitable. Uh, it will help you in your sanctification. I think what I want to say is um, we need to understand, and what Marshall helps us to understand, is that our obedience, the reason we obey is not, we shouldn't be motivated by legal reasons, like we have to do this or God's going to get us. As believers in Christ, we ought to be motivated by love for God. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So our attitude ought to be of one of love. And I, I've said this before, and I'll, I'll say it again, I know. But I'm going to say it again right now. Um, the Heidelberg Catechism is based on guilt, grace, and gratitude. It's built that way to show us that we're supposed to live the Christian life in this way. We need to understand our guilt because of our sins. We need to be uh, we need to understand God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. And then as we understand those things, we will gratefully live for Him. We will desire to live for Him. So in the section in the Heidelberg Catechism that deals with gratitude, that's where it talks about the law of God. That's where it talks about prayer. That's where it talks about the, uh, the ordinances that we partake of in church. That's where it talks about the Christian life in that section on gratitude. The Christian life is a life of gratitude for God. Um, one of the things that helped me understand this is that I, I was talking to my neighbor in Michigan one time this idea came to me salvation even our sanctification is based on good works and we so the good work let's say the good work we do is caring for the poor right if our salvation is based on good works we're caring for the poor for ourselves right right we're and then uh, in other words you're using the poor for your own salvation you're not You're not helping them out of love primarily. You're helping them because you know this will get you in better standing with God. But the gospel frees us from that. We don't have to help the poor in order to gain God's favor or to earn our salvation. We don't have to do those things for those reasons. The reason why we care for the poor is out of love. We don't necessarily gain anything from God. Now, that's not to say there's no benefits whatsoever for us, but the point remains that we're we're not seek we're not seeking to use people for our own spiritual betterment, because our spiritual betterment has been achieved by Christ, and so to think about it otherwise is is manipulative and it, it's just legal obedience. What christ wants and what sanctification does in us is work heartfelt obedience a grateful obedience to jesus christ and that that's the entire point that marshall tries to get up get across in his book is that we don't we're we don't want to have legal righteousness where we're just obeying because God is God or because we want something from God. We obey God out of love for our heart because of all that Christ has done for us. That, and that's really what should motivate sa- our pursuit of sanctification. Because unlike justification, sanctification isn't completely a work of God. It also involves us. We have to strive. We have to work. So, right. all right, Matthew, I've said enough about that. So, I,
1: I'm think, sure you have I your, think that is of vital importance for us to remember because far too often, whether we're Christian or an unbeliever, we think we're motivated by works. And it creates, like you say, it creates this legal structure where I'm tr- constantly trying to own something, own respect, earn stature, earn value. And it keeps me from understanding the gospel and allowing the gospel to do its work in my heart because I'm too busy trying to earn something. And so right. that's very, very important. I think another way to frame as we transition here a little bit if you just, just to look at one Bible verse that f- explains sanctification, it's Philippians 2, 12 and 13, where Paul says, As you have bated in my presence, now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God that worketh in you both to will and to work of his good pleasure. So you get the two sides of sanctification. The side we just talked about ultimately. It's, it's the Holy Spirit who has to do that sanctifying work. But we have a responsibility too, which we'll talk about in a second. And the way I explain it is like this. It's like trying to ride a bicycle. If it's all on us, it's us riding a stationary bicycle. We're pedaling as hard as we can and getting absolutely nowhere. But when we produce the effort God in his wisdom and love and grace allows us to see that effort accomplish change in our life or accomplish sanctifying action. And so then that's how the two work together. So with that being said, we come to the next part that we want to talk about, which is that not only is sanctification a work of God. But sanctification also involves the work of man. So, Jeremy, how do I participate in my sanctification? Um, you just let go and let God.
0: <laughs> really? <laughs> no, we definitely don't do that. That's what a lot of people think. Uh, but we, we, it's, a, it's a striving. Now... What does that striving look like? We we have to work. We God is, as Matthew pointed out from Philippians, <laughs> God is at work in you both the will and to work his good pleasure, right? So God is working. We work with him. We strive with him with the strength that Christ gives. And by the grace of God, we become more holy. We become more sanctified. We progress in holiness. and And so one of the The main things we need to do is make use of the means of grace, okay? Because that's what that's where God works. God, as I said earlier, God works through the preaching of the law and the gospel to confront and comfort us, and this encourages our continued obedience. And it's because when we see our sins, even as believers, when we see our sins for what they are they that gives us guilt but then when we understand what christ has done even as believers it gives us comfort and that produces love in our hearts it produces greater faith in jesus christ and then we want to live for him more and hopefully when we read god's word privately when we read it in family worship when we when god's word is read and preached to us in worship that's what's supposed to happen the word is supposed to have that effect in our lives it's supposed to make us love christ and want to follow him it's supposed to increase our faith more so when we're when we're exposed to the word that's what happens and and so then we're motivated to live for god right and the discipline then is is making sure we're making use of the word of god privately as a family, and publicly as well. The Lord's Supper also is a means of grace. Again, it it confronts us with our sin. Christ's body was broken and blood was shed because of our sins. And so we see ourselves as sinners in coming to the Lord's table. It's It's a renewal of our repentance when we come to the table. And then Christ, in giving us his body and blood, assures us of our forgiveness and his grace so again just like the word confronts and comforts so does the lord's supper confront and comfort and the point is of the lord's supper is to nurture our faith so that we'll desire and be motivated more to live for christ um we could talk about other things as well but i i think i, I think that's sufficient well, I guess prayer, too, prayer is a little different. Um, prayer is the means that we grab hold of what we need in order to be sanctified. So when we find out that even as believers in our own selves, we're still bankrupt, and we find all the treasures for all that we need to grow in holiness are in Christ, Um then we dig those treasures up through prayer. So prayer is a, is a great means of grace too. The, and by making use of these, we'll grow in holiness. And so um, if it's your desire to grow in holiness, if it's your desire to be more sanctified, to mature as a Christian or be spiritual, however you want to put it, you need to expose yourself to the, you need to be part of church. Where you're getting a steady diet of God's word, the ordinances and prayer, and you also we also need these privately as well, uh, but you especially need to be gathered with God's people where you can enjoy uh, all of these means of grace together. That will motivate you to live for Christ. Uh, that that's real. What church is all about is God giving you His gifts. That's why you can't get it through um, Zoom or Facebook. Um, or sitting on a park bench, meditating about nature, um, or on the golf course, golfing and viewing the beauty of nature, those things are okay. There's no, nothing sinful about them, but they're not a replacement for the church and they don't, and they don't give you the same gifts, gifts that are more needful for you, um, for your growth and in, in Christian faith and holiness. So does yeah,
1: that make sense? It make that makes sense. I would just want to add one point to it in that God uses the means of grace, but he also uses fellow believers to help us become sanctified because all of us have blind spots, things we don't see in our lives. And he brings other Christians into our life, either to help us see our blind spots or to help us have an example of what maturity looks like in different areas so that we can then strive, like you said before, we strive, we work to become more like Jesus in that way, which is how the other piece of church, which is like what you said, why Facebook, Zoom, online church can never be a replacement for the assembled gathering of the saints on a weekly basis.
0: Right, and they they are helpful on a temporary basis, right. and they're better than nothing if you can't get out. Correct, uh, but they're certainly no replacement <laughs> once and for all. So. Um, just, just one more thing I want to make sure we mention, um, that, that, just because this has really been a helpful concept for me, uh, and that is the mortification of sin. The newer translations of the Bible don't don't use this word, but the old King James does. Um, Joel Beakey, in, in one of his books, describes the mortification of sin in this way. He says it's the discipline of watching and praying against sinful habits in such a way that whenever a bad impulse arises, you immediately recognize what it what is happening and ask the Lord's strength to refuse it. You ask him to drain the life of that impulse in you. This is John Owen said something to the effect that we need to be killing sin or sin will kill us. So mortifying sin means to kill sin. Um, and Joel Beaky's way of describing it is great. I like the part where he, especially where he says, you're asking God to drain the life impulse uh, that's in that desire for sin. This is this has been really helpful for me, especially in my sanctification and dealing with uh, sinful thoughts and um, realizing that I need to get hold of it right away or it's going to go crazy and where and be strong enough that I might not be able to stop it so it helps you to be watchful Um, it help, and so we need we need to like fight (laughs) make war against sin in our hearts and in our minds and fight against it with the strength of Christ to win and, pick, and I, I like to picture our sin as being crucified with Christ, and we're killing sin by, by putting a spear in and, and bleeding it until it dies. That's, that's what we're doing as we fight against sin. And I know it's all metaphorical and pictures, but it helps me to picture it that way. It helps me to fight sin, to see it in that manner. So maybe it'll be of help to uh, people who listen. Any final thoughts,
1: Matthew? Just that it's important for us to have those pictures because I think we can view sin as not that big of a deal. But when we see it as something that we need to kill, we have to fight. That should change the picture in our mind and rally us to the task that God has called us to. We hope that you now have a better understanding of sanctification, that you see that God is in the process of causing us to be holy like him, that this process is a constant, continual, lifelong effort, and that you will engage in it because you love God. Jesus, and you want to be like him. We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your questions, comments, and hope for and dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But we want to thank you again for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship where we are striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.